Good morning, family. So good to be here. Um, this Saturday, my beautiful bride and I will celebrate 22 years of marriage. Marianne, stand up. Stand up. Turn around. Let everybody see you. And she has decided to keep me, and I'm very grateful. <laughs> my four girls are here. Girls, would you stand and turn? Let everybody see you all. And uh, my son is probably serving in our D.C. church this morning where Pastor Brett is preaching. Um, it's really great to be here. Pastor Brett actually officiated our wedding some 22 years ago. And some four years before that, maybe five years, I became a part of this church. This is my family. I'm home. And I love this. One of the ways we know God's love for us is demonstrated by the leaders he gives us. And when I think about Pastor Brett and Cynthia, Pastor Jim and Angie, Pastor Duke, Pastor, uh, Pastor Duke and Pastor Sean, Pastor, uh, no, Pastor Sean and Pastor Danelle, Pastor Duke and Kathy, and the entire leadership team, we are loved. Give God some, some praise about that. We're really loved. So I'm very grateful. Uh, this morning, I'd like to um, really worship God in expressing what I believe is his heart through a letter that he inspired a man named Paul to write to believers, Christians living in a Roman colony called Philippi. I want to read from Philippians chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 12 uh, through about 26 or so, and also read verse 29. You can follow along on the screen or open your Bible. It says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? What difference does it make? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers... Through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Verse 20, I eagerly expect, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Verse 29. 
For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Holy Spirit, thank you. Daddy, we love you so much. Let the words of this letter reach us, penetrate us deeply, and change the way we live. Amen. Paul is writing this letter to people he loves, to place and people that are familiar to him. He had visited a number of times, and he's writing now from prison. All sources suggest that he's in Rome. And the theme of this letter, in one word, is joy. Imagine, you're in prison, and you're writing a letter to those in another place to encourage them about being people who are filled with joy. If I were in prison, I would want to receive the letter because I would need to be encouraged. I would write you to say, get me out. But these are people who are in his heart. He carries them. He loves them. He'd been there before, and he remembers the, uh, the young girl who experienced freedom when he turned to her and prayed for her, and immediately she was set free from demonic oppression. He remembers while being in prison how the Philippian jailer was about to take his own life, and he said, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. Because there was such a violent earthquake caused by God that it shook the prison and every prison gate opened. Now when prison gates open, prisoners don't stay. But Paul said, lay down your knife. The man was going to take his life because he was overseeing all the prisoners under threat of his own life should any escape. That's, that's job security right there. I won't let you out. And that very night, the jailer came and fell down and he said, what must I do to be saved? And he repented. Jesus became Lord for him, for his wife and his children. And that night they ate a meal and, and the jailer and his family actually cared for the needs of Paul and Silas, ministered to them and uh, bandaged up their wounds. These are people he loves. And he's in prison. He's been in prison a number of times, sometimes under house arrest for a couple of years. Other times he's chained in a dungeon and literally chained to Roman soldiers that are dressed in their, their attire, and, and he's there. And then he says this, it was, as we read in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, has anything happened to you not good? Oh, the struggle is real. Some of you can't even raise your hand. You're in the struggle now. Paul is saying it's all good. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually, you need to underscore that, has actually served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me that is not good in chains has actually served to advance something that is good. The gospel, people knowing Jesus. Has anything happened to you that's not good been a benefit to others in a way that is good that makes what's not good altogether good? This is the heart of the letter and about joy. In a word, he's saying the struggle is real, but I want you to know it's all good.
How many of you can acknowledge the struggle is real? But can you regard in the same breath, but it's all good. It's all good. That's an expression that's used commonly. Even in my own household, my children from time to time will say, the struggle is real. We have breakfast like most families, and, and we have multiple cereal boxes. It, when I was coming up, there was either cream of wheat or there wasn't cream of wheat. You either had cereal or you didn't. There wasn't a choice. But one of my daughters, who will remain nameless, she is on the front row, reached up for her favorite box, and when she pulled it, it was empty. She said, the struggle is real. I said, really? That's the struggle? There are other boxes. Yeah, but I wanted these, Dad. The struggle is real. Sometimes it's trivial. Sometimes it's not. Been married a long time, like many of you. And I love this woman. The fact that she's going to keep me after 22 years, that's the mercy of God. Because she would probably say, the struggle is real. It's real. Real. On your workplace, in your job, your career, you, you train somebody and you mentor them and they look to you and then they get promoted and you report to them. The struggle is real. Something's happening with your heart. You've had good health up till now. Now you're laying in a hospital bed and you don't know what's going on with you. The struggle is real. But perhaps the hospital bed becomes your pulpit and the hospital your mission field. The struggle is real. But I want you to know it's all good. It's all good. How can he say that it's all good? How can something not good, some unwanted situation, something that's not favorable be regarded as good? I'm like you. This is something I'm still learning. There are times I preach something. God did that in my heart a while back. I'm learning this right now. You're getting it fresh. I mean, they're, they're, the, the unfavorable situations, the unwanted moments and experiences of life that come to me just like they come to you, I resist them. I reject them. All the things that are favorable, I go, bless the name of the Lord. Thank you, God. That must be God. But all the unfavorable stuff, this is where we go, oh, Lord. And there's something in us that even goes, you know, this can't be from God. I rebuke this in the name of Jesus. Really? What if it was all good? Because altogether it advances the gospel in your life and through somebody else's. He said it's actually served to advance the gospel. Paul was sitting in prison and he said this. He says, as a result, the whole palace guard all the soldiers, they not only know I'm in chains, they know I'm in chains for Christ. My man was in prison, and he was preaching about the love of God to people who may have never even heard the name of Jesus. Can you imagine the gospel, the good news coming to people who are separated from God? Who's the real prisoner, Paul or those who don't know Christ? And he's sitting in prison, and he said, it's not just the guys that are around me. The whole palace guard has heard about the name of Jesus, and they all know I'm in chains for Christ. Not only that, even members of Caesar's own household are believers in worshiping God. And if that isn't enough, many of the brothers and sisters who formerly lacked boldness, they now have confidence in God to preach the gospel with boldness and without fear like they never had before. Wow, what has happened to me that is not good has actually turned out to be good for somebody else. 
This is really good. Did you think that Paul recognized that when he was in prison and therefore had time to write? Did he know in that moment that he was being inspired by the Holy Ghost to pen a letter that would come all the way down to us 2,000 years later while he's suffering in prison? Could he see this far that that gospel would reach us, not just the Roman guards? In your bad situation, you have no idea how what's being produced will outlive you. He didn't know he was writing the New Testament. Are you kidding me? The only thing that existed was the Old Testament. He was penning it. But that happened in an unfavorable situation. Some of the greatest things in your life happen in unfavorable situations. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, uh, uh. I believe, in fact, when he's writing to the church in Ephesus and, you know, he was in prison writing all these letters and he starts talking about the armor of God, where do you think that analogy got birth? He was chained to one of them, trying to explain who Jesus was. Let me break it down to you. See, salvation, it's like that helmet you're wearing. And righteousness, it's like the breastplate on you. And your shoes, that's what you're supposed to walk and take the gospel everywhere you go. And I bet a soldier lifted up his hands and chains with Paul and said, I'm free now. He wasn't just writing something that would be nice. He was chained to a brother and found God in prison and broke down the habiliments of his armor. And your sword, the thing that you use to kill people, it is the, it is the word of God, which cuts a man to the point where he can repent. He got that all in prison. Some of us need to go to jail. The struggle is real. What do we mean by struggle? It is the ongoing tension between our favorable expectation and our troubling situation. And the further the gap, the more real the struggle. We're not just talking about cereal. I'm going to tell on myself since I told on the kids. A friend of mine was telling me about a brain dominance test he took, which helps you identify your orientation. Uh, some people are very relationally oriented and have all this stuff. Some people are time oriented. And when he said time oriented, I said, that's me. I can't remember a time when I wasn't time oriented. To me, punctuality is arriving 15 minutes before. I, I despise being late. Showing up on time, is, from my perspective, is it's, it's displaying respect for other people. It's saying this is important. And, and I've learned something about myself. When I feel like I have less time than I need or too much time, God showed me I begin to give place to worry and anxiety in my life, in my thoughts, and in my feelings. Before I go on, is there anybody here who identifies with me? I just, okay, seven, yeah, mostly, yeah, a lot of people in here. And, and that's how I've been wired. But I realize that people in my life are not wired the same way. They're wired differently. And if you don't appreciate that differences are intended to be a source of compliment, not conflict, you will actually require people to be something they're not. And I realize that my time-orientedness, I have put on my wife in a way that God has not. That's about the best way I can say it. It's about the best way I can say it. God know how to teach you patience. <clears throat> so, struggle is real. Struggle is real. 
my wife's on the front row. She knows the story. So for you are going, oh, my God. Monday morning is my day off. And I love spending the day with my wife. Um, we usually around noon or so, we'll go have lunch at a nice place. We like to hang out. And it's time to just look each other in the eye, talk about life, and do our finances and anything else we need to do. Talk about the kids, what God's doing, where we're going. Just have fun, see a movie later. And so this particular Monday, I woke up. And like I said, we normally meet up around noon. And she said, today, babe, I'm going to go work out. Why don't we meet up at 1030? And as soon as she said it, something went, ugh, 1030. Because that wasn't enough time. I needed time to work out. I didn't want to cut that short. I needed devotion with God. I didn't want to cut that short. And it was a day that the girls who were so good at making their lunch happened to forget their lunches. They made it, but they didn't take it. They were trying to be on time for school, and they forgot their lunches. So I had to take their lunches to school. So 1030 wouldn't allow me to do everything. So I started to reason with her, say, babe, let's do it at 12. But I didn't because I'm trying to be gracious as I grow in our marriage and say, you know, sweetheart, if 1030 is good for you, 1030 is good for me. <laughs> So I didn't get to work out, and I was disappointed, but, you know, hey, work out another day. And, and then, I, you know, I took the girls, I had a wonderful time with the Lord, and he spoke to me. He said, Donnell, I want to help you with what's going on inside you with regard to time. Yes, it's good that you're punctual. I am too. But I want you to understand something. <laughs> I, I didn't mean that the way it sounded. <laughs> I didn't mean it the way it sounded. Um, God doesn't need time. He said, Donnell, I've given you eternal life. You don't need more time. You don't need less time. You only need moments with me. Don't measure life, even though you live 70, 80 years. Life is not measured by the length of a man's days in terms of time. It's measured by the quality of relationship with me and others. You can live 13 years, but have more quality than somebody who lives 90. And don't give place to anxiety and worry in your life. I've put things inside you, and those things try to keep it in. Displace it by having faith in me. Because I've given you eternal life. You're going to exist forever, and you have eternal life now. So all you need is a moment. You can spend 20 hours of preparation for a sermon. But in a moment, I can drop something in your spirit that you couldn't get in a lifetime. You don't need more or less time. So some of you wish you had more time in order to finish your exam or to study for a test or to be somewhere on time. Or some of you wish there was less time. The brother should have proposed already. It's been too long. You want more time. You want less time. We all wrestle with the issue. But at the end of the day, it's eternal life. And when you're experiencing life, time stands still. And you realize that time is merely trading wheels on eternity that will fall off. And you can ride and be balanced without looking at a watch. So I'm not worried about time anymore. I will stop on time. But I'm not worried about time anymore. I'll stop on time, but I won't worry about stopping on time. So, so I'm on my way to the restaurant after dropping off the lunch, and the phone rings. And it's my wife. Hey, sweetheart. Hey, babe. I'm on my way. Yeah, I, listen, I won't be there at the time that we said. My first thought, I missed my workout. <laughs> but I just had a great devotion with God. So I'm reconciling the two. Some men burn under control. Some men burn out of control. I've developed a degree of self-control that I won't let things out of my mouth that I feel. I'll hang up the phone and say, see that, God? <laughs> see that? 
And then he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I just spent time with you talking to you about this. Oh, yeah. No sweat. We'll have lunch when she gets there. In fact, I have time to go to the store and get roses and a card. You see, instead of being angry, instead of being anxious, because I now am following God, it's okay. And a different idea came to me because I wasn't over, overcome with anxiety and worry. So I go to the store and I buy some flowers. I got cards. And then I think, oh, she's going to be there in, in five minutes. I won't have time to fill out the cart. There I am again. But I get to the restaurant and she's not there. She won't show up for another 30 minutes. <laughs> I got time. So I write everything I want in the card. And I hide the flowers and the thing out, out of the way. And she sits there and says, I'm so sorry. I'm late. And I go, flowers, bam, card, bam. Watch it. Don't worry about it, baby. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. All right. I've told on my daughter and I've told on myself. You say, okay, this is great. But here's the question. If the tension between our expectation and our situation persists, how can we regard it as all good? Because it's all good, but I'm still struggling. So this is a question I want to address. The struggle is real, but I want you to know it's all good. Number one, rise, R-I-S-E. It requires a radical internal shift in our expectation. There has to be a radical internal shift in our expectation. What is this shift? It is a shift from the expectation of escaping the pain of my situation to the primary expectation of the exaltation of his name. When my pain becomes secondary and his name becomes primary, then I'm all right. I'm all right because the shift is no longer about what I'm going through. It's what's going through me to benefit somebody else. Mm, you're not with me. Here's a, he put it this way. Paul said, I eagerly expect. There was this craning of the neck. He said, I eagerly expect. It doesn't matter if it's favorable or unfavorable. As long as he's exalted, it's all good. If they're preaching from true motives or some are preaching from false motives, as long as Christ is exalted. Because even the dude who's preaching from wrong motives, if it's got God in it and it's truth and you get right and he's lost, it's still all good because it benefited you. Whether it's my life that I keep or I give up and die, it's all good as long as he is exalted, as long as the gospel is advanced, as long as Jesus is made bigger in somebody else's life, what I'm going through, it's all good. Somebody get this. So you may think, okay, Pastor, I'm with you, but the rise doesn't remove the pain. Even if I have a radical shift, the struggle is still real, I'm still in pain. Well, there's something that God does for us. His joy strengthens us to endure the unfavorable situations. Uh, my oldest daughter, Mariah, she's here and she runs track. And um, she's been running for a while. In fact, when she was two years of age, mom and I had a little picnic and the other three girls hadn't been born yet. And <clears throat> we were sitting out on the blanket and we were in a tree-lined community. And we told Mariah, go, Mariah, touch the tree. She ran to the first tree and hit it. And she looked at us, and she was so cute, we just smiled. She could see joy all over us. Then we just said, go, Mariah. She went to the next tree. <laughs> and she looked, and she was so 
move to continue to run because of what she saw in us. She went to the next tree, and then the tree after that, and then the tree after that. She was worn out. Mary said, stop. Stop, stop telling her to go. And stop. We're looking at her laughing and having a great time. She finally came and sat down beside us. What I'm saying to you is she would have kept going even though she was tired because the joy on our faces, our delight with her, was the thing that strengthened her to endure what physically she was running out of. You're not with me, so I'll take you to the Bible in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, fixing your eyes on Jesus, who is the initiator and the finisher, the completer of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. Can you see Jesus on the cross? I got to tell you, if I was up on that cross, I wouldn't have said forgive you. I'd say forget you. I'm innocent. I've done nothing wrong. But he had nothing in him except love. And he looked up, and it wasn't us. He saw the Father's joy. He saw the Father's pleasure. And that enabled him to endure. It strengthened him to go through an unfavorable situation. And the Bible says he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Well, you know what happened next? Young cat named Stephen was preaching. He had the privilege of being a martyr for Christ. While preaching, people were cut. Instead of repenting of hearing the good news about Jesus, they rebelled and they started beating him up and hitting him with stones. They hit him so bad, the brother just dropped to his knees. And instead of saying, forget y'all, he looked up and said, look, heaven is open. I see Jesus standing, not sitting, standing at the right hand of the Father, giving a standing ovation. The joy of the Lord strengthened him to die in a favorable situation, not with bitterness, but saying, Lord, forgive them for what they're doing to me. Don't hold it against them. Forgive them of their sins. That's how you want to die. Not that you want to be stoned. But you want to go through unfavorable situations, not loving your life so much as to shrink from the death that is being provoked in you by the trial. I'm learning this right now. To look at my unfavorable situations and go, it's all good. It's all good. As long as Jesus is being exalted and this gospel is being advanced. 